Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius with Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and we're glad you joined us today for the Wittenberg Door. Uh, with me, as always, is Lee Hall. Lee, Good morning. How are you doing? And Gary at the controls today. Does that seem a little, uh, does that seem a little loud there? No? Okay. Uh, so, folks, we're going to uh, continue this week with our study of the Catechism, and especially the Ten Commandments. We've been looking, examining the Ten Commandments over the last... Oh, have we got it? Now, now I don't hear myself. Is that... Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> we'll get it somehow. Yeah. Uh, so, we've been examining the Ten Commandments, and we've gone through the Fifth Commandment, You Shall Not Murder. Last week, we addressed that. And uh, this week, we're going to start with You Shall Not Commit Adultery. Now, adultery, of course, is when uh, a married person or uh, an unmarried person uh, has relations with a, a married person or a married person has relations with another different married person. Um, but the command about adultery includes a number of uh, sexual sins. Uh, so when we think about uh the commandment against adultery, we're also thinking about things like fornication or things like um, uh, homosexuality. Uh, and it, there's a whole broad range of topics that are included in this commandment. Um, really what the commandment calls for is sexual purity. And uh, when Luther explains the commandments, he, uh, he, he says we should fear and love God so that husband and wife love and honor each other. Um, in other words, it's directed toward, uh, uh, it directs us to a good and godly relationship with another person and um, a lifelong commitment to that other person, that other uh, uh, man or woman that... Uh, that uh, you commit yourself to. So, so for instance, there are a number of uh, situations that people, as a matter of course these days, um, think of as almost, you know, it's par for the course. Uh, almost always, uh, I say in a majority of cases, in many cases, uh, people, before they get married, will live together outside of marriage. Uh, and most uh, who take on that arrangement plan on getting married at some point. Uh, many do, or some do. Uh, but you still, you take on that uh, lifestyle without uh, publicly committing yourself to the other person. And when we do that, we leave ourselves room to to back out. Well, where this was 30 years ago or 40 years ago was looked upon as as kind of a cultural taboo today it's become quite common 
Today, we might say today it's really become the norm. Uh, many times when people come to me for, you know, as, as a pastor, I'll have people in the community come and they'll ask me to do a wedding ceremony. And in a number of these cases, the people are already already living together, right? Well, this is what this commandment forbids. Uh, well, we should have a, a, a relationship, a sexual relationship, only with those that we have committed ourselves to in holy matrimony. Now, uh, another thing that's been increasingly common and, uh, and the sexual mores of society have been changing in such a way that uh, same-sex relationships have uh, become normal, have become uh, part of our society. And this is something that Scripture itself uh, forbids in, in any case uh, as unnatural. The Apostle Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 1. And he says that it's a symptom of our, sim of our sinful nature that when turning from God, uh, we begin to turn, he, he talks about idolatry, and, uh, and then he talks about uh, a, a different kind of idolatry, kind of the worship of the body. And when he addresses that, he talks about men who uh, commit indecent acts with men and women who uh, burn in their desire for each other. And he's specifically addressing this, uh, you know, this condition of homosexuality and, and condemning it as sinful. That it's not uh, the fact that, you know, some have said that, that it's not the homosexuality itself that is uh, sinful, but it's the, uh, maybe the abuse, uh, uh, you know, where the power dynamic uh, is more like rape, uh, for instance, uh, people will point to Sodom and they'll say the problem in Sodom wasn't homosexuality. The problem in, in Sodom was homosexual rape. And, uh, and we see that in Romans chapter 1, that's not the case at all. Um, Paul is condemning homosexuality as, a, as against nature. It's against nature. Now, of course, this has become quite common. And when, uh, when we encounter this, which we do every day, when we encounter this in society, of course, those who are caught up in these uh, thoughts and desires and lifestyles are to be treated with love and compassion. Remember that Christ died for sinners. Christ died for all sinners. And, uh, and the church extends the love of Christ to all and should. Uh, but part of uh, extending the love of Christ to all is to call people to repentance. And, and so this commandment really calls us all to repentance. If you are uh, unmarried in a same-sex relationship, God is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to turn from your sin and, and to uh, uh, turn to him. If you're unmarried in a heterosexual relationship and you're living together, God is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to turn from that sin uh, and to either be married or to... Uh, or to stop living together, and uh, if you're in a if you're in a marriage, um, he's calling you to be faithful to your spouse. Um, uh, if you're a husband, he's calling you to be faithful to your wife. If you're a wife, he's calling you to be faithful to your husband. And uh, faithfulness includes not only the acts, the deeds that we do, 
But faithfulness includes also um, what the things that we say. Our speech should be edifying and and shouldn't be uh, um, uh, you know tearing down mor morally. Uh, shouldn't be tearing down morals. Uh, telling uh, crude jokes, for instance. And uh, our thoughts, and this is one of the Jesus addresses on the sermon in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says to his hearers, "You've heard it said that uh, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery." And so, uh, you know, we're called to be faithful in this commandment, in thought, word, and deed. God, who calls us to to true life. And this is where we find out, each one of us finds out, that there's something wrong with us. Because none of us have kept the commandment the way we should have kept it. None of us have kept it from the heart. And, uh, of course, uh, there's a, a kind of a civil righteousness. There are our husbands who have never um, slept around on their wives and, and like vice versa with, with wives. Uh, they've never committed the deeds of adultery. But, but most all are guilty of breaking this commandment in one way or the other. And what that does, when we learn that, when we think about uh, the dynamics of that, what it does is it, is it shows us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. You know, the primary reason that God gives the commandments is not to, um, not to kind of prescribe a way of life that if we do them, that we'll have life, that we'll have uh, salvation, that we'll go to heaven if we're good people. God gives the commandments to show us that we're not good people and that we'll never make it to heaven by our own deeds. And so really what the commandments do is, is they teach us to look outside of ourselves for our hope because we know that we'll never find hope in ourselves. We'll never find hope in our own conduct. And if, and if you're the kind of person that thinks you're not a sinner, um, then you're probably looking at these commandments or not even either not thinking about the commandments or looking, them, looking at them in such a way that... Um, you know, you're just thinking about one aspect of them. What the commandments do is they condemn us. And they condemn us for the purpose of showing us uh, the way that God has provided. In other words, when we lose hope in ourselves, what hope do we have? Well, the hope that we have is that God has sent a Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ. That Savior came and lived the perfect life. He was God in the flesh living the perfect life for us, never breaking the commandments. He um, then took on our sin for us in our place and carried it to the cross, was nailed to the cross in our place, was crucified and suffered the wrath of God for us. He died, which is the penalty for sin, and he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And he announces to all, through the church, the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation in his name. So, um, there we go. There's the, kind of the seventh commandment in a nutshell. How was that? Our sixth commandment, I'm sorry, yeah. We'll get to the seventh commandment next week. Yeah, that's fine, okay. 
All right. Well, Lee, uh, we're going to move on now in our in our show, and Lee, we're going to uh, talk about the um, the lessons for the upcoming Sunday. Now, this upcoming Sunday for Gethsemane is Judica Sunday. Uh, that title of that Sunday is, is taken from uh, one of the psalms we use called the Introit. And uh, the Introit asks God, it says, uh, Judge me, O God, right? Now, when we, think of, when we think about that statement, Judge me, O God, Lee, what's the first thing you think about when you hear that? Uh, you examine me. Yeah. Uh, discover what's wrong in me. Yeah. Well, judge me uh, almost seems like a frightening thing. You know, to to have God almost to have God pronounce judgment on us, right? Uh, many of us, when we think about judgment, we think about judgment in the criminal sense, right? Yeah. We usually don't like the idea of being judged. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, and and that's not the sense in which. The psalmist is using it. You know, in um, in our society, we have a, both a criminal criminal courts and we have civil courts, right? Now, criminal courts, people who commit a crime, they go before the judge and they're either judged guilty or not guilty by a jury and sentenced to, to for whatever they've done. But what are the civil courts for? Uh, to correct injustices yeah yeah so um in a civil court if somebody has wronged you for instance and you um lay a suit against them uh asking for a you know a, a right judgment and um compensation for the wrong that's been done to you and that's the sense in which the psalmist uses it when he says judge me O god he's thinking of a of a person who's been wronged of a person who's who's not getting justice from somebody else, something that they deserve from somebody else, and they're asking the judge to make it right. We might say calling out for justice. Yeah. We're asking for justice. We're asking for justice, right. That's right. And uh, and so Judica Sunday in on Judica Sunday we're we're asking for justice and we're believing in the God who, uh, folks, uh, whatever wrongs people do to you, uh, God keeps it all, you know, God knows all things. And uh, God will vindicate you. God will, uh, God will bless you in the end. As, uh, you know, as we entrust our, um, entrust our wrongs to him and, and trust that he is going to take care of them, uh, he promises us that he will that he will vindicate us on the last day and, and that whatever wrong we think people have done to us is not going to stand, right? So do we have a call? Oh, great. Okay. Hello, caller. You're on the air. I used to have a problem reading the Bible. Uh-huh. It was taboo or everything was against me. A casual friend told me one time, the letters to the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, uh-huh. basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> it kind of made everything fall together. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to, uh, you know, uh, if, if you have a kind of a, an, uh, if you've been taught that the Bible's kind of this thing that's uh, scary and that it's going to be something that's going to get you, uh, that's certainly not what God 
uh, wants us to understand about the Bible. He wants us to understand that uh, well, his, we his all word, want to relate to the Bible when it's good, yeah, not when it's bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, and 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 the Bible really, we have to remember that the Bible is a book of life. Uh, that really what the Bible's about is it, it's it's God's love story toward us. It tells us about a Savior that he sent, and it, it tells us uh, whom we can believe in. You know, when we when we uh, are direct, Mark, one of my uh, heroes, he said that the uh, the Bible is the cradle of Christ. It's mm-hmm. where we it's where we find Jesus. It's where we find a Savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, sometimes when people hear about sin, and and of course they hear about the Bible that condemns certain sins, and they fear okay. the Bible because they don't want to they don't want to hear about these you know these sins of mine. Right, uh, and and uh, that's a great tragedy because uh, that's really not the purpose of the Bible. The pur- purpose of the Bible isn't to tell you about your. It, it, it's you know one of the things it prepares you to hear a story about the God who loves you and sent you a savior. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, we're all going to leave Earth, aren't we? Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, when we don't know, and if we did, it would drive us crazy. Uh huh. Yeah, that's right. But we know that when we do, we can do it with confidence because we we have a Savior who has left the earth. He died, and he rose again for us, so that we don't fear death. We don't fear leaving the earth. Uh, we uh, we fear we um, uh, have faith and hope in what God has prepared for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great. Well, uh, caller, I thank you for... Do you have any other questions or comments you'd like to make? Uh, no, right now. Okay, thank you. very good. Well, thanks for your contribution today. Thank you. Okay, very Bye-bye. good. All right, so let's hear these... Um, now, uh, we're going to go to our Bible lessons for this Sunday, Judica Sunday. And thank you, caller. Folks, if, uh, if you do have a question or comment, we invite you to call... Our number is 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. And uh, at any time, if you'd like to call in and, and ask a question or make a comment, we invite you to do that. So, Lee, what's our uh, our lessons coming up for this Sunday? Well, for Lent 5 or Judica Sunday, uh, we have a reading from Genesis 22, uh, beginning of verse 1. This okay. is from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Okay. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand, took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both of them uh, went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son, he said. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound uh, Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Yeah, this is uh, maybe, I think that maybe this is the most dramatic human story in the scriptures. It is uh, one of those stories that when you hear it, you, it alarms you. Uh, I think many of us, when, we, when we're listening to this story, uh, we fear that maybe Abraham is not quite right, right? This, is, this, this does not sound right to take your son in, in order to uh, prove your love to God or whatever, to take your son or your child and to, uh, and to sacrifice them. It, 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 it seems, um, why would God have somebody do this, right? Uh, why would God ask somebody to do this? It, there, something seems off about this. Furthermore, before this all happens, yeah. we're, we're told that this is the child of promise. Yeah, now that's a very important yes. Uh, because uh, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. I, I, Abraham had waited for this promised son uh, for, we know, at least 25 years that God had been promising him a child from Sarah. And uh, finally got this child, and, and, and through this child... Uh, God told him that you know the, that he would be the father of many nations, that uh, this child would multiply him, and so it's not just that you know kind of the common story that everybody can relate to because every you know anybody who has a has a child especially anybody who is a child right uh, anybody has a relationship with their parent, but this is even more so because Abraham knows that uh, the promises that God has made to him, not only about himself and his family, but really about the whole world, because God has said to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Um, so, so, th so this was not only a, a, a difficult decision for him, it was totally illogical. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound right. But it doesn't, I mean, this is something that all of us, when we hear this story, it doesn't sound right. And and, um, and and we can feel the agony of Abraham as he saddles up his donkey early in the morning uh, and takes his son Isaac. As he's, as he's going up, as he's leaving the servants, and he's going up on the mount, and he hears that question from, from Isaac, you know, behold the wood and, 
and and the fire, but where is the where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say? Of course, God will provide. God will provide, right? And uh, we can feel the anguish in Abraham, even as he is raising the knife. You know, there's a famous painting. I forget who did the painting. But it's a, it's a wonderful piece of art of Abraham with the knife extended and, uh, and the angels coming down and, and, and stopping him. Um, it's such a dramatic human story. Um, but I think it's also one of those stories that if you're in church very much, you're going to hear this story preached. And um, it's one of those stories that I think oftentimes is preached wrongly. In other words, the lesson... Uh, Lee, have you heard this sermon? Have you heard this text preached before? Yes. Uh, and, and probably maybe on a number of occasions, right? I mean, because it's such a dramatic story. It's one of those things that is great text that, that preachers like to preach from. In, in, on average, would you say, how, what is the lesson of this, of this text? Uh, obedience. Obedience. It's almost always obedience. Right, and, and putting God first, yeah. right? Putting God before everything you love. And, and not loving anything more than God. Now, that's true. God does say, who loves father or mother more than me? Who loves son or daughter more than me? He's not worth me. And this, I think, is Christ the interpretation of the bit of the Bible that's in the Quran that the Muslims think when they fly planes in, into yeah in, in the buildings. They, Very sad. Yeah. yeah, they think they think it's about obedience. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, people get this lesson wrong because they don't look at the scriptures. Now, this uh, this caller that just we just got, um, who, you know, uh, and this is a very common basic. By the Bible means basic instructions before leaving Earth, right? And uh, and of course, there is a lot of instruction in the Bible. But uh, there's also, it, it might be missing the point if we just look at the Bible as instruction, rather than looking at the God, looking at the looking at the Bible as a book about Christ and a book that tells us about God's love. Now I think this is really what this story is all about. It's a story about love, because can you imagine how much you have to love someone? to give your only begotten son for them. Right? Yeah. I mean, we all, when we read this story, we're really thinking of it from a human perspective, and we're thinking about the anguish of Abraham. Rather, we should be thinking about the anguish of God the Father in heaven, who does what? He sacrifices his son. Who gives us his only begotten son. You know, and this is, I think the parallel to this passage is in John chapter 3, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love for, uh, for you, listener, God's love for you was so great that he took his only son and he gave him up in order to save you, in order to rescue you. Now, by the way, we should probably pause at this point and point out the fact that because I, I think, uh, well, one good Friday, I remember, when we first got our building, and I put up the sign in the front of our building, um, 
God put his son on the cross to save you. Which is correct. Theologically, that's what God did. But I got a call from a woman and she said, that sounds like child abuse. Right? And um, so, uh, you know, what is it that keeps that from being child abuse? If, if God gives his only begotten son for us and, and gives him in the death for us. Well, Christ went willingly. Out yeah. Of yeah. It, it's, it, by the way, folks, remember that at this point, Isaac is probably about 25, 30 years old. He's probably not a child. And when his father says, lay down, or let me bind you and lay down on this altar, that Isaac is probably doing these things will, willingly, right? He's not, I mean, uh, Isaac at 25 is certainly stronger than Abraham at 125. And, uh, uh, certainly able to defend himself. It's it's important to remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were coming to arrest Christ, yeah, he said, "Don't you think that if I ask my father, yeah, he could send his legion of angels?" That's right. And so when when Jesus goes to the cross, it's not child abuse; it is a plan between the Father and the Son, and the Son goes because uh it's not just God the Father who loves the world and gives his only begotten Son, but it's God the Son who also loves the world and in sacrifice to the world wants to save us. But we, see, but we understand here, and you know, by the way, John 3.16, how often, it's like maybe the most popular Bible verse. If you're a football fan, it's, you know, this is a verse you see all the time, right? When that, when that goal gets kicked, the sign goes up, John three sixteen, right? And uh, and and I think when we think about that Bible verse, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. In the context here of Abraham and Isaac, then we might begin to understand how much God loves us, how much God desires to save us, and then and then, folks when we hear about our sin and we hear uh, how we have sinned and violated God's law, uh, we won't be so overwhelmed by the news of our sin that we'll think that there's no hope for me, right? I think one of the most tragic things that churches do is they preach the law in such a way that people get the idea, well, then I'm, if I'm a sinner, then I guess I'm God doesn't love me. God doesn't care for me. And uh, God's disgusted by me, right? <laughs> and folks... Which without Christ is true. Yeah, God is... Well, God is never disgusted. God is... God loves the world, right? God's disgusted by sin, right? But he loves you. And it doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are. Uh, if you're the kind of sinner that everybody loves... He loves you. If you're kind of a sinner that everybody forsakes, and there's a program that comes on before ours, um, Sober Joe. And, uh, you know, when, when people have addictions, whether it's alcohol or, or uh, drugs or whatever it is, um, he, sometimes even fathers and mothers uh, will be inclined to give up uh, an addicted person because it, it's very difficult very difficult to deal with these 
these kinds of issues that come up. Uh, you know, you know what God says is, uh, the psalmist says, even though father and mother should forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Right? Amen. When you're feeling abandoned by everyone, just know that you are not abandoned by God. And it doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done it with. God has sent his only begotten son. God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die so that your sins would be atoned for. So that, you're, so that he could wipe away, so that he could be just and punish sin the way a just God always punishes sin. But he doesn't punish that sin in you. He punishes that sin in Christ. And you go free. Right? Now, the really wonderful thing about the end of this story is, first of all, folks, when God tells Abraham to do this, God knows the whole time what he's about to do. And he doesn't let Abraham carry it out. And that's the most important thing. You know, there's a tragic story I remember about 15 years ago, 16, some, somewhere around there, about the woman in Texas. Do you remember this story? About the woman in Texas that drowned her children in the bathtub, right? And she said it was because God told her to do it, right? Now, uh, of course, this woman had, a, she had some, she wasn't thinking rightly, you know. Of course, God doesn't do that. And God doesn't even do it with Abraham. God doesn't let Abraham carry this out. He stops him. He says, don't harm the lad. Because this is not about Abraham and Isaac. It's not about obedience. And it's not about Abraham's love or obedience. That's right. It's about God's love for us. And it, God wants us to understand what he did for us in the giving of his son, which at the time of Abraham is still 2,000 years to come. And, and this is the correct way to read all of the Bible. It's yes. all about Christ. It's all about Christ. That's right. Yeah, if you're, if you're reading the Bible yeah, uh, uh, without, without Christ in mind, then you're bound to get it wrong. You're just going to get it wrong. But when, you, when you're looking on every page for the story of Christ, then it, you know, a different picture starts to emerge. Well, here, by the way, when God stops Abraham from sacrificing his son, God provides a substitute, right? And here is this ram caught in the thickets that Abraham, when, when he stopped, he sees the ram caught in the thickets and he offers up the ram instead. In fact, the ESV actually uses the language in the stead, or instead, uh, which we say would in the stead of, right? So, so um, rather than Isaac dying, it is the ram that dies in Isaac's place. Folks, rather than us dying as we deserve, it is Christ who dies in our place so that we can live. Amen. Amen. So, all right. Well, very good. There's another aspect to that story, by the way, and that is that Abraham, as he is going up the mountain, um, before he, he, he turns to his servants and he says, uh, stay here and I and the lad will go sacrifice and then we'll return right? Abraham tells his servants, they're both going to return. They'll both be back. And the writer of Hebrews tells us 
that Abraham does so believing that God can raise the dead. And that he believes that if he does this thing, God is going to raise his son. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, which God does as a type. In other words, Isaac becomes a type of Christ in the sense that he's sacrificed, risen again, and returns alive, right? So, I mean, it's a very Christological story. And, uh, and, and when, we, when we read it, folks, we've got, got to keep that in mind. It's very important when you read, especially the Old Testament, to, to keep in mind whether it's David, King David, right? Who, uh, who slays mighty Goliath. This is, not a, this is not a story about how we can slay the Goliaths in our lives, right? It's a story about the Christ who stepped forward and was our champion and saved us when we were all trembling on the, on the battle line, right? Uh, so over and over and over again, throughout, throughout the Old Testament, you find these stories about Christ, and, that's, uh, and this, this is one of them. This is a great one, yeah. Okay, very good. Well, we'll continue. Let's. Um, we do have time for the epistle lesson today, don't we? All right. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter nine, uh, verses eleven through fifteen. And once again, this is the English Standard Version. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, even though the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who have called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And this is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks be to God. Okay, and, and by the way, this is a great illustration of the point we just made. Because... Um, uh, you know, in the Old Testament temple rituals, uh, of course, you had this temple where this is the place, the temple was the place where you came to commune with God. It's the place where you came to pray. It's the came, place where you came uh, through the priest to receive God's blessing. It's the place where you offered your sacrifices to God and you uh, looked for atonement. When someone sinned, they would bring a lamb or a goat uh, uh, for a sin offering, they would offer it up in place of or in the stead of themselves. Um, and you think about what those temple courts or what those tabernacle courts looked like on a day when, when you had a high festival day and, and many sacrifices were being made. You think about what, what, is, what would that have looked like? Because you have all these animals being slain in these courts. Not a clean and, thing. Yeah, and, and you have these priests dressed in white, but not for long. Yeah, splattered in blood. They would have been, it, they would have been, they would have looked like a butcher. They'd have been covered in blood. And the temple courts themselves would have been, it was a bloody mess. It was gory. And, um, 
And it was in this goriness, it was, in, it was in, in the midst of all this death for sin that God was pointing the way. You know, uh, when the Passion of the Christ came out, when was it, about 12, 15 years ago? Uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And, uh, of course, it was a, a movie that everybody flocked to. It was one, maybe one of the best-selling, uh, you know, uh, uh, the uh, box office was was for a Christian movie. It was probably the best-selling Christian movie that uh, that was ever made. Um, but what was, what was one of the complaints about the Passion of the Christ? Yeah, uh, that it was violent. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, one critic referred to it as a snuff film. Right, and and when you saw uh, the passion of Christ, when you saw what He endured for us and for our salvation, um, you know uh, it it was brutal, it was hard. He was beaten, he was spit upon, he was scourged. The cat of nine tails that that tore him to pieces, literally, nailed to a cross. He suffered. He was he was uh, you know his uh, uh, suffocating and uh, this, all this great suffering that he in, was enduring and uh, and people were uh, in, in a, the people were offended by this right and it is an offensive thing violence but remember that the violence comes from sin the violence comes from man's sin and here is God in the flesh who puts himself in the midst of all this violence, as the one who suffers violence, right? Okay, so you have the kind of this bloody mess that the passion of Christ is. And you think about all those sacrifices and what all those sacrifices of the Old Testament did for thousands of years as people came to the tabernacle or to the temple to offer their sacrifices. All those sacrifices, folks, we're pointing to one sacrifice of Christ. Um, and the blood of bulls and goats, he says, can never atone for sin. But what Christ has done has once and for all atoned for your sin and mine. Amen. Amen. Yeah, the gospel? Okay, the gospel is from John 8, verses 42 through 59. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. 
Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, so, listen, you know, uh, folks, this is uh, Judica Sunday. He, uh, Christ here is claiming that God is going to vindicate him. God is going to judge him. God is going to glorify him which uh, we can see the open hostility of these who want to stone him, who want him dead, who eventually get their way. But on the third day, Christ rises again, and Christ is vindicated in the resurrection. Uh, well, I think um, I'd like a little more time to, I always do this, I'd like a little more time to go into that gospel. It's a wonderful gospel lesson. Um, but we're going to have to close up now. <laughs> it's, we're coming to the end of the program. Uh, Folks, we uh, thank you for joining us. We hope that you've uh, enjoyed our broadcast and that you, maybe you've learned something about the scriptures, about the world, about yourself, uh, and especially about Christ and his uh, salvation and love for you. Uh, this program will be re-aired on Sunday morning at 9.13 and Wednesday evening at 7.13. So if you've missed part of it, you want to go back and hear it again. You want somebody else to listen to, keep that in mind. It's also posted on our, um, it's also posted on, on iTunes, so you can hear it there. Uh, now, if you don't have a church home, we invite you to, to worship with us. Our, our church, Gethsemane Lutheran Church, is at 219 East Church Street, beside Rocky's Bicycle Shop. Our worship services are Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon at 4.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And uh, we invite you to join us. Come anytime. Come as you are. You'll be loved. And we'll see you next week. Brown. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was born right here, Charles. I never went anywhere. Is that right? Yeah. And you like it?